You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. I was trying to sing on the high end of uh, the scale just a while ago, so I had to have water before I started. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. Thank you so much for being here this morning, if it's your first time. Hope uh, you'll feel very welcome as you worship with us. And also, I will mention to those of you first time, if you're interested, we're going through the Gospel of John. We have these really cool John journals that's got scripture on one side, place for notes on the other. And they're at our next steps table, which is in the back left corner of the lobby. So hit that up if you uh, are interested and get one of those journals. There's no charge. If you wish to make a donation, $2,500 or so would be acceptable. But just kidding. Um, but get there, or if you just want to know more about the church, and I, I'm just going to mention a couple of dates, and, and uh, this is a little bit out in the future, but Discovery Lunch on March 8th after the service. You're new to Grace. You want to have an informal way of meeting um, Elders and staff, we're going to have a lunch immediately after the second service on March 8th. And then the following week, March 15th, Grace Connection, our new members class. Those who just want to find out more about how we're structured, what we're about, that type of thing. Uh, and we'll have more about that as, as we go. And for those of you who saw the baptism last Sunday, what a beautiful, beautiful service it was, baptism. And some have already said, that's, I need to do that. I've just trusted Christ recently, and I want to be baptized. May 30th is going to be our next baptism. So if you are interested, please speak with me, one of the elders, one of the staff. But eventually you'll end up speaking to me. So uh, I would be happy to talk to you about that. Well, I have reached the stage in my life <laughs> where I'm very interested in passing on what I know to others, especially to those in a younger generation. Not in a, these young people don't know back in my day. I'm not talking like that. But just I have that desire. Uh, some would say that I reached the stage of wanting to tell others everything that I know the moment I was born. So it happened very early on. I, I do long to pass on what I have learned. And I've never ceased to desire learning more and more, and then once again, uh, to pass that on. And a lot of the stuff that I learned comes from a, a, a younger generation. Look, all good teachers, I hope I'm acceptable as a teacher, but all good teachers are teachable, and they're always learning from everybody. I hear professors say it all the time. I get stuff from my students. I learned this from a student in a conversation, discussion we were having in class. We've reached a point in our study of the Gospel of John that this kind of thinking comes into play. We're going to see extended instruction by Jesus to his 12 disciples who are now 11 disciples because of Judas' defection to go and lead authorities to Jesus in what I think most people in the world would agree is the greatest betrayal in all history. Jesus knows that his hour has come 
And so he begins to give his disciples specific instructions regarding how they are to live after he has gone from them. The disciples did not know that Jesus would be lying in the tomb 24 hours from the moment he was speaking to him, having been nailed to a Roman cross and crucified. So it's understandable that in this uh, last evening when they're all together, they'll get uh, get, uh, distracted and, and ask questions along the way. Jesus' teaching on the night that he was betrayed is known as the farewell discourse. Most of the bulk of the instruction comes between John 13, 31 and the end of John 16. But most scholars treat the entire section of John 13 through 17 as one unit. John 13 begins, of course, with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. John 17 records the high priestly prayer of Jesus that includes much prayer for Jesus' followers, including those of us who are here this morning. Those of us who identify as Jesus' followers. So, this portion of John's gospel begins and ends with Jesus serving his followers, washing their feet and praying for them. Look, God has called and gifted some of you to pray at very high levels. We're all called to pray. But some of you are quiet intercessors on behalf of the church, on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ for the protection of the body. And you do some of the most important work in the church. And nobody knows it. That's okay. God knows it. Jesus knows it. When you go into your closet and pray, right? Nobody else knows it, but he does. Some see in John 13 to 17 a chiastic structure that ultimately points to the union between Jesus and his followers. It looks like this. Starts off in John 13 with a foot washing. Then there's loneliness and anxiety in John 14. David Calvert is going to address a good portion of this text next week, 1 through 11. Then the paraclete. The paraclete is the the Greek word parakletos. It comes from the Greek word parakletos. It's always referring to the Holy Spirit. It's it's used or it's translated different ways in different translations. Some translates use two or three of these terms, but counselor, advocate, comforter. It's helper in the English uh, standard versions. There are five different sayings or teachings about the Holy Spirit. And then right at the center of this arrow, it's kind of hard with all of those words to get it on this smaller space, although this is a pretty good size screen. But if you look, it, it, it's, it's pointing to the center, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ, both individually and <coughs> corporately. Then it goes back to anxiety and loneliness and then the prayer. So Jesus begins serving his disciples. He ends serving them in a very specific way. Now you may think that such design is much ado about nothing. But writers often structured their arguments in this way in the centuries leading up and especially the, uh, uh, the, the decades leading up to the time when Jesus taught and John wrote his gospel. 
There is much said about the Holy Spirit in this text. And if God wove this structure into his account of Jesus, then it's important. It's important to us. Think about the Psalms that are acrostic Psalms. Each stanza starts with a different letter of the alphabet all the way down. God is very, he, he does things in ways that we can remember. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I, I don't have it in the notes. I don't know. I didn't know where I was going to say it. But would you end this time through the farewell discourse over the next couple of three months? I don't know how long it's going to be. But read John 13 through 17 every week. It will add to your understanding so very much if you'll just read that portion of Scripture. Four chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters. Uh, I spent three years in Algebra 1. I know what I'm talking about, so don't, don't worry. I'm, I'm good, good with it. Look, in these chiastic structures, Jesus is almost always at the center. What does that tell you about the way Scripture is designed? It's always pointing to Jesus. And in John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There is little doubt that Jesus' farewell address compares well with Moses' farewell address in Deuteronomy 31 through 33. And that points to the same truth that the author of Hebrews teaches us. Jesus is better than Moses. Grace is better than law. And the gospel is what the covenant was always about. God sets the requirements for relationship between us. There's a penalty if we fail. And since we fail, he takes the penalty upon himself. That's the gospel. It's at the center of all scripture. So from this point on, I'm going to refer to the entire section from John 13 to 17 as the farewell discourse. We are going to encounter some extremely important teaching in these chapters. Teaching, after all, that Jesus deemed most important before his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven. While most of John's gospel is written to provoke unbelievers to consider and believe Jesus claimed to be the Savior of the world. Most of the farewell discourse is about discipleship and mission. We're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit in His place and function in the Trinity. We'll find encouragement to live in a world that is hostile to the gospel message, which is that Jesus died for sinners and is the only portal through which we may enter Heaven, just like Scott said, the gate is the way into the fenced-in area. Coming through Jesus is the only way. There are some important sections in the farewell discourse that are difficult to understand. You'll sort of get a preview of that in home group this week and look at some of these verses to say, what, what does that mean? I've always wondered what that means. Well, we're going to take enough time to know what that means. And as we do... See, John is one of those great books of the Bible that sends us everywhere else in Scripture. It's not that we're stuck in this one little place while the rest of the Scripture is out there waiting for us. John takes us everywhere. Past, present, and future of what he wrote or what he, about the time he was writing. So, 
That is a bit of an overview of the final discourse, of the farewell discourse, though much more could be said by way of introduction. Today's text is John 13, 31 to 38. This scene, the scene that we're going to read about here, occurs just after Jesus has sent Judas on his way to do his dirty work of betrayal. Now think about the structure of that sentence. Jesus has just sent Judas on his way to do his dirty work of betrayal. And so Jesus now settles in and begins to teach his disciples. Today's text focuses on the community. We are given as believers. We commune corporately with Christ and with one another. John 13, 31 to 38 is our text. It's our custom to stand as the scripture is read. So if you would please stand. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. When he, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, and you can almost sense Jesus taking a deep breath. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Missy. Well, as we pick the story back up, Judas has just gone out into the night. Remember, whenever you see night, in John's Gospel, there are spiritual connotations as well as spots of uh, time on the calendar. It, so now the final components of God's sovereign plan for Jesus to die on the cross are moving into place. It is in this context that Jesus says to the eleven who remain, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in Him. Now the betrayal was underway. 
God would glorify himself in Jesus and in his perfect plan. And it would happen at once. Look, I think as we, we understand God's design, verses 31 and 32 will begin to take shape in your mind and make sense in your mind. Don't try to just get it all right now. Just let it play out and it will begin to make sense. In the wisdom of God's redemptive plan for sinners, His glory shines brightest in Jesus' suffering on the cross. Counterintuitive? It is. Essential for salvation? It is. With the last segments of the plan now having been set in motion, Jesus was alone with the ones who were closest to him in the world. Nobody else was closer to Jesus as these disciples. The covenant community has now been cleansed and Jesus addressed his followers as dear children, which is proper since he was functioning as the head of household at the Passover meal. It was also common in farewell discourses that people gave in those days uh, in Jewish life for the, for the dying father to leave instruction for his children. So the disciples would have been alarmed at Jesus talking like this. And Peter would jump in and say, wait, what? What did you, where are you going? Hey, I'm, I'm going all the way with you. No matter what, I'll die. But Jesus was going away. And his followers would not be able to go with him immediately. So they needed instruction, whether they knew it or not. Now, you've been in this situation, right? Where you say, no, 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 don't start talking like that. Some of you that have adult children, when you start talking about a will, your kids are like, no, 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 let's don't go there. But life moves on. And we have to say the things that are important. Jesus may have confused them even more by saying, I'm going to give you a new commandment. You ready for this? Are you listening? Love one another. Well, now, look, they, they already knew this from Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. The new component of Jesus' command was what he said next. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. What was he referring to, just as I loved you? Washing the grime and the muck off the disciples' feet. That is how Jesus loved them, and now he expected them to love one another in that way. Have you noticed how often the word now has come up both in the text and in the sermon. It's an important word in our relationship with the Lord. And it struck me time and again as I've been preparing this week. I just think now, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to yield and submit and love the Lord. It's an important word in our relationship with the Lord. It's an important word in your relationships at home. And in the body, now, let's deal with it. It, it is not insignificant that the community of disciples 
comprised a, a very disparate group of people. Even though they were all Jewish men, there were extreme differences among them. We know that Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Thomas was the analytical one, at the very least <clears throat> analytical. You know him as the doubter. He's trying to work it out in his mind, and you can't always work it out in your mind. Simon is called the zealot, and Matthew was a tax collector. Simon and Matthew would have been naturally disposed to hate one another. Matthew was like an IRS agent working for Rome amongst his own people. And with Rome's full knowledge and approval, Matthew would cheat his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, he would say, Rome would say, taxes are 20 bucks, you know, per hundred. He'd go in and say, got bad news, taxes are 25 per hundred. And he'd put that five in his pocket. He would get rich off of your backs if you were Jewish. Simon belonged to a political party that was absolutely committed to the overthrow of Rome. Simon would have gladly killed Matthew if he could have gotten away with it in a prior life. And now, they were to wash one another's feet. Indeed, this was a new sort of command. How big an impression would that kind of love make? Verse 35, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When Jesus spoke these words, God's covenant community consisted of Jews and righteous Gentiles or converts to Judaism. But the Gentiles were really second-class citizens. I mean, you couldn't even go all the way in the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles. Court of the women, court of Gentiles, and then the real people would be able to go. But now remember this, this was God's design. And he's making a very specific point. One that, that, that Scott referred to this morning in Colossians 3. The time was going to come very soon where all barriers were broken down. Male, female, slave, free, Gentile, Jew, barbarian, Scythian, didn't matter <clears throat> All were, were going to be one in Christ. All who repent of their sins and believe that Jesus' death was payment for their sins are now brought into one body, one community in Christ with no second-class citizens. I don't know why you think you're superior to somebody else in this room, but I know you do. Why? Because I do. I have to fight it all the time. It's a way of being secure within your own skin is to compare yourself with others and say, somehow, I'm better than that person. I'm not really, and I know that. I know that I'm no better than anybody. And anything that is done good for me is the grace and mercy of God being poured out on my life. But our natural tendencies have to be overcome in this community, just like Simon and Matthew had to learn to love one another. All are equal in Christ. There is structure. There is design. Designated leadership in the church. But all are one in Christ. The world 
has never seen anything like it. Even 2,000 years later, when it functions according to design, there is nothing like this community. The blessing we will encounter time and again in John 13 through 17, I think this would have been the place to say, read it every week as long as we're in it, is our proximity to truth. It is as if we are in that room hearing these words from Jesus. And then again in John 17, he's going to pray specifically for us, for all those who will believe on them, on him. This morning, there are three applications for us to consider from the text, which will be followed uh, by a real-time picture of living in truth. So let's begin with an awareness of our need to recognize that God's blessings to his covenant people are channeled through the covenant community. It is the entire focus of Scripture. It's part of the gospel message where Jesus dies for you and me, yes, but Jesus dies for a people. God calls out a people, calls them out of the world to be his children and to love him, partly by loving one another in a family context. I'll not spend long here, but it would not hurt to be reminded every single week that the American individualistic way is not God's covenant community way. Much instruction to believers in our day, in our land, is to the individual. Almost nothing was to the individual in Scripture. It's to the community, and the individuals, of course, have to make decisions, but they're part of the community. So when you pray with other people, it counts just as much as when you pray by yourself. Are you to pray by yourself? Yeah, you... Not, we're worried about you if you take two or three in the closet with you. But, you know, you can go in the closet by yourself. But, but we're called to do this life together. Think of the blessings that God's design offers to the community that are unavailable to individuals. I've got a list, and I'm going to put this list online. If you want to just wait, you can get it later if you don't want to get writer's cramp, you know, writing this. Just, just think of some of these. Encouragement and exhortation. We, we encourage one another. We exhort one another to live for Jesus. Family structure, including leadership. Some of you come from some really broken families. We're all broken people. But some of the families you come from, God has given us this beautiful family structure including leadership. And by the way, Jesus is the head of the church. Our elders are very aware of that. As we lead, we recognize that Jesus is our head. Other parts of the body to make the family complete. Look, we can no more do without you. If this is the place God has planted you, we can no more do without you and your gifts than we can do without our left hand. We make do. We always do. We increasingly have, have ways to compensate. But we need each other for accountability. Look, we live in a day, if somebody just looks at you the wrong way, you can say, I don't have to take this, and you just run off. 
The thing about Scripture is this. The thing about the early church in Matthew 18 when Jesus gave the, the, the structure for church discipline. He said in so many words, do this one, two, three times and ultimately bring the person before the church. And if the church says we can no longer assume that this person is a believer, you're not only out of the church, you are outside of the family of Christ in so many words. And that is meant to drive you back. But now we just run away. Oh, I don't like what they said. Oh, somebody was mean to me. I'm the worst of you, believe me. I'm the most sensitive person in the room, so I'm really running my lip out at myself, I promise you. I'm not making fun of anybody. But it's the way we are. And we're increasingly so. And that just, it's the only permission you have to look at social media just to see how many lips are stuck 20 miles out. <laughs> Learning together. And thus better. In fact, you can't learn on your own. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. God designed us to figure this out together. When Peter stood up and preached at Pentecost, they'd had quite a few days with Jesus. And then they had some days by themselves. And don't you know that those disciples were working it all out? And when he stood up, he wasn't in a trance quoting Joel He'd been working this out. Protection from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's just there. Next, age span. We need the passion of youth and the wisdom of age. Now, I want you to just look around. I want you to look around. Literally, everybody, look around. Look around at the ages that are represented here. Do you know how unusual this is? Do you know what a gift from God that he has given us? We need the passion of youth and the wisdom of age. While it is unwise to say, well, these young people back in my day, that was a good day. It's unwise to say that because you cut yourself off. It is more unwise for you to say, that old man doesn't have anything to say to me. You may not say those words. You may not let them come out of your mouth. And look, can I say this to you? I, I say it a lot, but I'm going to say it today again in this context. Young ones, it's on you to speak to the older ones. You're the one that needs to make connection. You know why? Because you have intimidated the mess out of them. <laughs> Just like they intimidated the mess out of their elders when they were young. And now they wish they had been a little more, paid a little more attention. That's a blessing of the church. Our next series is going to be from Titus, and it's going to talk about ways to connect older and younger. Why do we have to wait for that? Let's get on with it. Diversity, hopefully, that will broaden our perspective. 
We look kind of like the disciples did, but that's not the way God designed it. We're not in any way trying to keep anybody out, but let's welcome people who come our way that don't look and think just exactly like we do. That's God's design. It's always going for a better approach. Common mission. We have something together that we're doing. Love, including forgiveness, like no other. Boy, being in the Word reminds me, you've got to forgive. Constantly it reminds me, you have to forgive. There are people I don't want to forgive. I don't have a choice of. I have to. And the church, we do that better together than we do by ourselves. We do it better when someone steps in and says, Brother, sister, you can't, you can't hold on to this grudge. You've got to forgive that person. And, and we get to loan each other faith, if that makes sense. Diane McLaughlin, Jay and Ellie Wall, they have sometimes, these are people who have exercised their faith, Vicki Chapman, in ways that have ministered to me like they'll never know. Their faith increases my faith. Baptism in the Lord's Supper. Family business. It's family business. We could keep going with such thoughts as a deeper forgiveness and security and purpose, but it's time for the second application focus. In humility, wash one another's feet. That's almost... Those are redundant thoughts, right? I mean, you cannot wash another's feet in the way that Jesus washed his disciples' feet unless you do it with humility. When you think of how difficult it must have been amongst his disciples for Republicans, Democrats, and Independents to serve one another, you realize what a difficult command this was. Trump supporters, Washington Bernie's supporters' feet, and vice versa. Can you believe it? They hated each other worse than, 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 than we tend to do in our day, or had reason to hate each other worse. We know little of humility in our land. I still can't get over it. Just Michael Horton pointed it out, just read it about six, seven years ago. That selfish ambition that you read about in Scripture, the word selfish was just supplied in the last couple of hundred years to differentiate between bad ambition and good ambition. We're all about good ambition in America, but, but the point is ambition will get you in trouble in a heartbeat as far as your relationships with other people. We not only have instruction from Jesus, the head of our church, but we have the perfect example in him kneeling to wash the feet of his disciples. I wonder what the equivalent would be in our day. Look, don't pray for troubles. <laughs> troubles are going to come. You will have ample opportunity to be humble in a day of harsh rhetoric and sensitive souls. Remember this when your time comes. It is never a bad thing to be in a place where you need to be humble. It is never a bad thing when you are in a place 
where you need to just be humble. Don't say, but, but, but can, can, I just, can I just explain myself here? That's, I, I know we, you think that's humble. Just be humble. Just take it sometimes. Just don't try to explain yourself. Just be humble. Husbands, wives, be humble. Children, parents, brothers, sisters in Christ, just be humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So say James in 4, 6, and 1 Peter 5, 5. Both of which are quoting Proverbs 3, 34. In humility, wash one another's feet. And last, always remember that love within the community ties us to the Trinity. And is part of the mission. In our study of John 13, 17, 13 to 17, we're going to be amazed time and again when we see the relationship that the three persons of the Trinity have with one another, which is God's relationship within himself, sort of that glorifying him and in glorifying, being glorified in himself. The intimacy between the Father and Son and then the relation of the Spirit within the Trinity is astounding, and that is not hyperbole. When you see the relationship that God has with the covenant community, that the Trinity has with the covenant community, well, that's just breathtaking. I dare say by the end of this study, in this section, you will see the relationship in a different way than you do now. John 13.20 has been in the text for the last two weeks, but I didn't spend time in that verse either. Either week, although I did mention its significance, I keep coming back to it because it sort of ties everything in John 13 together. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one <clears throat> who sent me. Do you get the significance of this word from Jesus to his followers? If you share the gospel and the one who hears rejects the truth. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting Jesus. Oh, sure, I get, I get that. It says it in a lot of places. No, wait. Put yourself in the room with Jesus telling you this. If they reject your message, they are rejecting me. When they get to the heaven... When they get to heaven, they will say something like, but I didn't buy it when Justin was sharing the gospel with me. He couldn't explain my answers. And at that point, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. That is, at the same time, a great responsibility and a great relief. The farewell discussion is as much about mission as it is about relationship. And the relationship component is strong in here. Your role in the mission would be enough to give you the big head. Except it's difficult to be arrogant when you're washing others' feet. People with whom you would naturally be disposed to commune with. This is community like no other. There is love and relationship and in the church 
There is nothing like it anywhere else. And when we love one another and when others are attracted to Jesus through the love that we have for one another, we need room for them in the community. So, real life example of how this is supposed to work. I'm going to tend, turn the service over to Ricky Lee, uh, who is going to shepherd us through how this has been played out in the life of our church. And this all comes together, humility, relationship, and mission. Thank you. Yes, good morning. My name is Ricky. I serve as your pastor for discipleship and care. And I'm going to invite at this time the Williams family, the Kearns family, and Ben Grumbach, and any who are in this first service who attend uh, Ben and Jen's home group in Keith Hills uh, to come up as well and, and stand with these, with these families. Hear the word of the Lord from John, the Apostle John, not in his gospel, but in his letter, the first letter we have from him. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 say this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. We see in the Bible, uh, time and time again, a pattern of God bringing people to himself, and he teaches them, and they uh, receive a message. They grow in knowledge of the Lord. They are prepared to then go out and to share this message. So they know God, and then they're sent out so that others may know God as well through them. And this is what's happening in two weeks. Uh, we have a home group who were meeting in Ancher, and then last summer, the Grumbox moved to Keith Hills, where we already have one Keith Hills home group, the Popes, and now we have Keith Hills 2, the Grumbox are in there, meeting on a different day at a different time, and uh, this home group desired to send a home group back to Ancher, because now we've been without a home group in Ancher. So the Williams and Kearns family live in Ancher, have been driving to Keith Hills, and the Lord has led them to begin a home group in the Mills Creek Farms neighborhood just right down the road. So they're going to be starting up on March 1st, and the Grumbach home group is essentially sending them out. And uh, this morning, we're going to ask them to, to surround them and pray for them. Ben's going to lead us in that prayer. And the Grumbach family and the home group uh, families have been blessed by relationships with the Williams, uh, with the Kearns. They have grown in the knowledge of the Lord together, and now they are sending them out to go so that others can also grow in the knowledge of the Lord, who are not a part of a home group, and so that others have a chance to be known um, as well, who are not yet a part of a home group. Uh, so I'm going to ask the, the Kearns and the Williams family, actually the Kearns kids are in the back serving, so next service they'll be able to join us, but if the Kearns and Williams will come up front of the table, and then I'm going to ask the other families who are here, so we know we have more, but the first service, those who are here, just surround them and uh, lay, lay a hand on them, and Ben's going to lead us in prayer. And this is not some kind of like supernatural, we're like sending them a power, this is, this is a visible sign of you guys getting to see something that's, that's invisibly happening. And that is an affirming of these families that these guys know and love, have been blessed by. And they are saying, yes, we, we believe these guys are uh, being led by God to begin a home group. And we affirm their, their gifting, their ability to do this, and also that they are going with them in prayer uh, as, they, as they begin this journey. So after the service as well, Kearns and Williams and or are going to be up front. If you're new to Grace Community Church, I really encourage you to come up, meet the Kearns, meet the Williams, ask about their home group, and uh, get to know these, these two families. So Ben, if you'll pray for us. So just 
Please pray with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you once again for bringing us together this morning as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and for the opportunity to participate in your covenant community, uh, one that you designed for us and one that you designed us for. Uh, Father, we, we lift up our brothers and sisters, the Kearns and Williams families today, as they open their homes and lives to other members of our church family and by beginning a new home group. We thank you for putting it on their hearts to serve our church family in this way. Uh, we pray that as they faithfully embrace this new role and responsibility, that you continue to provide them with the encouragement and the humility that will demonstrate your love to all those who they welcome into their lives. Uh, and Father, we, as our home group sends them off uh, to begin their own, we, we thank you for the blessing it's been over the last few years to spend time with the Kearns and Williams over uh, at least on a weekly basis. Uh, it's truly been a blessing to all of our families to be able to pray together, study your word together, to laugh and to cry and to encourage and comfort each other and to move pianos together and, uh, <laughs> and to just, just do this life together, Lord. And uh, Father, we, uh, we know that it's only through your grace and your mercy that we're blessed and adopted into your family. Uh, we gratefully pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ben. So again, I invite you, if you're new to Grace, or if you are just interested in their home group, to come up after the service, speak with uh, either the Kearns or the Williams family. You guys can go back to your seats now. You have seen their faces. Uh, please do pray for them uh, as, you, as the Lord brings them to heart for their families. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.